You may be seated. Good morning. It is Palm Sunday, and uh, we've been doing a, a series on Easter. We actually covered the triumphal entry a couple of weeks ago, and this morning we're going to be talking about the crucifixion. But just a week before the crucifixion, people lined the streets as Jesus came towards Jerusalem, and they were waving their palms, crying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then one week later, we find Jesus on a cross. The circumstances had changed. People's opinions and thoughts had changed. And so open your Bible with me to Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. Mark chapter 15, verse 21 through 39. Starting at verse 21, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. You know, as we look at Scripture Go back to Matthew, to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says to the people, hey, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to take it away. I came to fulfill it. He says, in fact, not one letter of the law will be removed. And then he actually takes it a step further. He says, you've heard it said that to murder a man is wrong, that will lead to your condemnation. He says, but I tell you, he actually takes it further, but I tell you to look upon your brother 
with hatred. So he doesn't abolish the law. He actually brings it and makes it actually harder. He says, you've heard it said, not to commit adultery. He says, but I tell you, if you even look upon a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So he takes something which is incredibly hard anyway, and he actually makes it harder. And basically, in all of that, we stand condemned to a cross. And he does this so when we look at the commandments, not one of us, the laws, not one of us is going to say, man, I stand innocent and I stand righteous because of my actions. No, when we hear his words, man, and we see this, we go, man, I am guilty. And he makes this clear. He goes, I'm not abolishing the law, but I'm doing what the law could not do. So he says, man, in Romans, we, he says, Paul tells us, man, the law brought our death to life, so to speak. The law made clear our sin. If it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't know what our sin was. But the law says, man, this is your sin. So the law kind of condemns us. It condemns us. It says you're guilty. But Jesus comes. Because there's nothing we can do to remove that guilt from us. And he does for us what the law is powerless to do. And he takes our guilt and the punishment that we deserve because of our sin upon him. And then he says it is finished on the cross. So as we read all of this and we go into this crucifixion, As I was doing this, my, my, my mind went to John chapter 12, verse 24. And it, as I pictured Jesus on the cross, and John chapter 12, verse 24 says this. Jesus actually says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Titled this sermon this morning, Choosing to Die When You Have the Power to Live. Choosing to Die When You Have the Power and the Ability to Live. As I was thinking about this message this week, it's been that thought, those words that have been on my mind, those words that I really couldn't get away from. Because it's exactly where Jesus was on that cross. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane. And actually, when they came to arrest Jesus and take him away, Jesus actually says to his disciples and to those present, he says, do you think I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Jesus makes it clear. He says, don't you think? I don't need you to draw a sword. Don't you think that I can open my mouth and in an instant 12 legions of angels will come to my defense? Man, Jesus has the power to stop everything. And so when I think about this amazing power that he has, you know, and and, and I have this 
picture of him being nailed to this cross, it wasn't the nails that held him there. Any more than toilet paper could hold him there. He could have come off that cross. Those nails didn't keep him on that cross. No, the only thing that kept him on that cross was love. Love bound him stronger than any nail on that cross. What bound him on that cross was his decision to stay on that cross. At any point in time, he could have come off. But what bound him on that cross was you. What bound him on that cross was me and my helplessness and my sin and the desperation of my life and the great need that I had for him to to take my sin and take my death and take my shame on his shoulders. That's what held him on that cross. This love that, that no matter how much we sing about it and how much we talk about it or preach about it, we can't really comprehend a love that can hold him on that cross because those nails were nothing. It was like he was standing up there completely unnailed. But his love bound him tighter to that cross than anything else. When his thoughts about coming off, his thoughts about the legions of angels waiting at his disposal, what overpowered Thoughts of himself and his pain were the thoughts of your pain and my pain. The thoughts of your struggles and my struggles. Your sin and your sickness and my sin and my sickness. And because of us on his mind, he endured and he stayed the course. An incredibly painful course. And as I look at the crucifixion, It's interesting because the very thing that I'm grateful for is actually the very thing that I'm bothered by. I mean, I am so incredibly grateful that he chose to die when he had the power to live. I mean, I am so grateful because where would you be? Where would I be if he had chosen to live instead? And so I find myself so grateful Yet at the same time, so bothered by it. See, I, I, I want him to come off that cross. I mean, when I look at the circumstances and the scene of, of what's taking place, it's easy for me to remove myself from it as if I wasn't there, as if I wasn't one that held him on that cross and see the Romans and see the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders and all these people yelling insults at him. And so it's almost like him and them, when, and, I, and I remove myself from that. And so when I do that sometimes, I go, man, Jesus, I want you to come off that cross. See, it says that they they crucified him with two rebels. If you actually look at Mark, it's interesting. uh, It actually jumps from verse 27 to verse 29, chapter 15. If you look at the footnote in your Bible, there'll be a footnote in your Bible for 28, and it says this. And it's when it talks about the criminals. It says, they crucified two robbers with them, one on his right and one on his left. And if you go down to the footnote, it says in verse 28, 
And the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was counted with the lawless ones. I don't think we think about that enough. He says they hung him up. They lined him up with the riffraff. They lined him up with the lawless ones. They lined him up with the criminals. His identity now was with them. How would you like to be lined up with the people on their way into court in shackles? Even if you're innocent. Maybe your friends know you're innocent. Maybe your friends know you're not guilty. But those who walk by at first glance, they look at you and go, oh, yeah. Oh, no, but I'm innocent. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're innocent. You're all innocent, right? Here's Jesus. He's lined up with the lawless ones. And he's crucified with two rebels. And in shame, he's lined up. His identity now is with them. And as people walk by, passers-by are hurled insults at him. Shaking their heads. And saying, so you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. Man, just imagine, have you ever had someone shake their head at disgust with you? You have someone, look, maybe you're working, maybe you're putting an effort in, and they don't like what you're doing, and they look at you, and they just shake your head because they despise you. See, Jesus looked like a fool. He looked like a fool. He looked like a failure. Man, at that point, you know, we can stand today and go, man, they crucified my Lord, but we know Sunday's coming, right? We know three days is coming. On Good Friday, they crucified him, but man, Sunday, he rises again. And we know that on Good Friday, but they didn't know it back then. They're going, man, what happened? This is not right. Jesus has failed. He looks like a fool. His identity is with the lawless, lawless ones and the criminals. And so when I see this and I hear these insults and, and I imagine Jesus on this cross with, in my mind, toilet paper holding him there, nothing was keeping him on that cross. And they look at him and they shake their head going, who do you think you are walking by? Man, I want him to come off that cross. I want him to vindicate himself. See, the chief priests and the teacher of the law, they're mocking him. They're saying, man, he saved others. But he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this so-called Messiah, this so-called Savior, let this King of Israel, let him come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And man, I want him to come down when that toilet paper's hole, nothing is keeping there except his love. And his mouth is silent. And I, I don't just want him to come down from that cross. I want the world to shake. I want to see the Romans fall to their knees. I want to see the Pharisees tremble with fear and quake because they suddenly realize, man, the Son of God came off that cross and they realize what they've done. And in my mind, I go, man, could you imagine Man, could you just imagine? They're saying, man, come off that cross and that we may really believe. And I go, man, God, if you come off that cross, they're gonna, they would bow. They would be trembling. Could you imagine if he did? Well, don't you shake your head at me. I'm coming off this thing. How dare you look at me? You think I'm a failure? Oh, you don't think I'm the Savior? Let me show you a couple of things. Twelve legions of angels right here. Now you know I'm God. Right? I mean, come on, guys. I, I, like I want, I mean, I'm grateful to God 
that that didn't happen. But in my heart, I want that to happen. But Jesus doesn't move that way. With all this power, with all this authority, he chooses to die when he has the power to live. See, I I want Jesus to come off the cross because that's what I would do. I, I want Jesus to come off that cross because when I see him on that cross and I think about me receiving the insults and the shaking of the head and the disgust and, 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 and looking like a failure, inside of me I begin to kind of rage a little bit and go, come on, you know? I want him to come off the cross because see, Selwyn would come off the cross. And if Jesus would come off that cross and vindicate and show everybody, it justifies my feelings. It makes me okay when I feel that way. It makes me okay when I want to prove to everybody that I'm not a failure. When I want to prove to everybody, well, the naysayers, this is what happens. Because see, the, th- the truth is, is, I do not like failing. Does anybody here like failing? No. I hate to fail. I don't like looking like a failure. So interesting enough, uh, as I've contemplated this whole message, something else surfaced in my life this week, something that happened 22 years ago. And I felt like God spoke to me in the midst of it. And so I want to share it with you. 22 years ago, I was punished for something that I hadn't done. Please understand, by no way, fashion, or form, I try not to draw a comparison between me and Jesus. All right? Not even close. But God spoke to me in the midst of this. And and so 22 years ago, this happened. and, And from time to time, these feelings surface in me. They're not there all the time. But from time to time, they surface in me. And interesting enough, as I'm contemplating this whole story and passage of what Jesus did on the cross, these thoughts began to, 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 to come to surface, and they were disconnected. They weren't with the sermon. It was this thing and then my message. I wasn't trying to draw them together. And so... Some of you may have heard parts of the story, but I'll tell you it in a little bit more detail today. When I was 17, I joined the Army. The veterans in here know the story, but I joined the Army. And I, I wanted to be an Airborne Ranger. In fact, I didn't want to be anything else, nothing against any other units of fantastic use, but that's just what I wanted to be. And so I, I had to go to, to MEPS three times. It's two and a half hours away. And every time they try to give me something else and I refuse it, no, this is what I want, this is what I want. And finally, finally I got the orders that I, that I wanted. I got the assignment that I wanted. And, uh, and so I, I went off to basic training. I was excited about this. It was kind of a tough road ahead. Went through basic and went through my advanced training. And then I went through airborne school. And, and all three of these areas, you, you, can, you can fail out. You can be physically injured or whatever. But I went through all of these and then I went through our Ranger Indoctrination Program, which is titled RIP, which is probably appropriate. Uh, 
and uh, they just abused us. I know the army is changing some things, and, and they kind of cut down on some of the abuse, but what we went through back then was just abuse. That was just plain and simple. We started off with 240 people, and 70 of us made it. That was it. And so we went through, through, we went through hell, basically. And so three weeks of this, but they did this because they really wanted to see if you wanted to be there. And I really wanted to be there. And I really wanted, this is what I wanted. There was the pride involved of, of being in this unit. It's just what I want to do. And so I, I remember graduating from Rip and getting, at the time it was a black beret, now it's a tambourine, getting that beret, being assigned to a ranger battalion, going, man, I'm now a, an army ranger. This is awesome. And I, this is a specialized unit. And, and I was there, and I was there for nine months, and I was doing well. I was a Christian. I was honoring God. I was, uh, I, as a ranger, I wasn't even using bad language. I mean, this stuff was kind of unheard of. And so I kind of stood like a soul. But God was honoring me. I was honoring God. It was everything that I kind of I wanted. And then something happened nine months after I was there. A bunch of us were accused of disobeying a direct order. An order that we never received. And we fought this, and we fought this. But what happened is people were getting in trouble higher up, and it just began to kind of roll downhill. And everything was in jeopardy now. In fact, in my platoon, out of 30 guys, 15 of us were accused. I had my immediate team leader, the sergeant, tell us he was the highest ranking of all the ones that have been accused, he told the, the group of us, listen, don't go and, and fight this battle to the commander. We don't need to all be going up there. Let me go, and I'll fight on our behalf. Turns out later that all he fought for was himself, and he kept us at bay. We were threatened with all kinds of punishments, and finally we just kept fighting this and fighting this and saying, no, we're not guilty of this. We didn't do this. And finally, it came down where they took us down to the first sergeant's office, which is kind of the top sergeant in, in a company of about 100 people. And the, and the first sergeant looks at us and says, listen, you either admit guilt and face one day's punishment, or we're going to kick you out of this battalion. None of us want to be kicked out of the battalion. And so he said, all right, even our squad leaders said, listen, why don't you just do this? It's one day of punishment. It's not a big deal. We said, you know what, why not? We'll just do it. Get this thing over with. We all signed admissions of guilt, and they kicked us all out. They kicked us all out. I want to tell you, see, you can say to me, someone, 22 years, get over it. And go, honestly, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. I wish you had a better pastor. I really do. But... <laughs> That you don't. It's just me. So, now, you got to understand, guys, we live by a creed in this. Like, we, we recite a creed, like, every day. It was driven into us. Like, I'll never leave a fallen comrade behind. 22 years later, I can remember this creed. And we watched ourselves get abandoned by the very people who recited this creed to us. It's like they shot their own and protected us. And I remember going, even our squad leaders and our immediate leaders were fighting for us, going, this is not the case. Actually, my squad leaders say, look, if Bodley went, we know he didn't know because Bodley doesn't even swear, you know? Like, he's not going to do this. And it didn't matter. In the end, we were, we were put out. Now, i got to tell you, God honored me. I went on to other fantastic units, and I did well in the military. You would think that would be enough. But see, I hate 
failing. I don't like being accused of something I didn't do. And inside of me, I wrestle with this sometimes. Do you know, I remember it was during this, this movie called Black Hawk Down. Some of you may have seen it. Um, those were basically the soldiers that I trained with. We were there during that time. And I remember right after they came back from Somalia, we were being out-processed. I remember I was sitting in, in, the, in the battalion commander's kind of like waiting area, and we were lined up with all the other guys that were just below standard. See, we were kicked out for, for failing to maintain the standard that was expected of us. And there was this captain who had been in Somalia, and he walked by us, and he looked at us. And I've, for 22 years, I've never forgotten. He looked at us with disgust in his face, and he just shook his head as he walked by. I will never forget that. Never. Because inside of me, I was raging. Going, man, I am not guilty of this. I am not that guy you think I am. And so we were sent orders and we were dismissed as those who break laws, and those who are substandard, or those who couldn't make it. And on my truck today, I have a Ranger scroll because I was proud of being in that unit. But I want to tell you there's something missing from that scroll that should be there. See, had I been in Ranger Battalion long enough, I would have gone through Ranger School. And Ranger School is a Ranger tab. It's a yellow tab on top. And so when you look at that scroll, although I'm proud of it, if you know about the military, you're going to say to yourself, something's missing from that scroll. And immediately, because something is missing from that, I will be identified as a failure in that. Those who know me can say, yes, Selwyn, we were there with you. The sergeants that were there back us up and defend us. But I want to tell you, for those who do not know and those who look initially and go, man, there's something missing. And I go, well, you see, there was this thing that happened. And, and you know what? That's the guy going, hey, I'm innocent. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's not your fault, you know. And so in the pride, every time I see that, I also identify the fact of what I look like to people who do not know the story. From time to time, those feelings surface in me. From time to time. In fact, I think what happened, I was actually dealing with the National Guard Armory, and I was putting a sign up there for the Easter outreach, and I was talking to some of the guys. They go, oh, Ranger, you Ranger tab? I go, nope, not a tab. Oh, okay. And I go, ouch. I don't want to tell this story. I'm not going to believe it anyway, you know. And, and from time to time, and it kind of triggered something in me, and I remember I was just bothered by it, and I remember going home to Lori and going, Lori, you know, I just don't understand. I was serving God. Like I was doing, not that I was, but I was serving God. Like, wouldn't it make more sense? You know? I mean, how does looking like a failure really help God as a Christian? You know? And we begin to justify these things. I remember saying to Lori, I just don't understand. God knew that 22 years later this would bother me. I mean, God knew. So God should have done something about this. And I, I remember even, even getting in the shower and I go, God, why did you not let me just go and get that? I'd be much better. Kick me out afterwards. You know what I mean? Then I would have to tell the story, you know? But why 
Why now? And I, and I, I felt like God spoke to me really clearly. And he said, Selwyn, the toughest school in life is not ranger school. The toughest school in life is not any military school or the toughest school you think you've been to. The toughest school in life is learning to die. Learning to die to yourself. Learning to die to your pride. Learning to die to the things that you think you identify with. He said that to me, I was going, and my mind went back to the cross. And it was at that point he made the connection for me. Listen, I am not pointing myself out to be some kind of Christ figure, all right? You'll know why. But my mind went back to the cross, and my mind went back to the insults, and my mind suddenly went back to the criminals that were Jesus was identified with, with the lawless ones. My mind went back, and as I'm reading, I'm going, man, they walked by him, and they shook their head at him in disgust. And now I know why I want him to come off that cross. You see, I would have come off the cross. See, when that captain walked by me, if I had had a voice and could have proven it, I would have stood up and shut his mouth. I would have. To this day, there's parts of me that go, God, wouldn't it be just wonderful if somebody would come back and go, you know what, 22 years ago, someone, we did you wrong, and we're sorry. Probably not going to happen. All right? Just saying, like in my heart, man, I want Jesus to come off that cross. I want him to shut their mouths. I want him to declare his innocence. I want him to validate and vindicate himself. I want them to know that he's the son of God. Because if he will do that, I'm justified in my thinking. If he will do this and all of a sudden I'm okay. So inside of me, I want him to come off that cross. But inside of me, I'm so thankful to God he didn't. Because where would I be? if he was anything like me. And so when I see Jesus on that cross and I see that love, where the only thing that held him there was nothing at all but his love and his compassion and his grace for me. See, when I see that, I come face to face with his love and I come face to face with who I am and how far away I am from being anything like him. I thank God that he spoke to me. I'm a slow learner, I guess, 22 years. But when Jesus said, someone, you got to learn to die. You know, we can identify ourselves with things and with people. Maybe we find our identity. We can say, hey, I'm a Christian, but sometimes we identify ourselves with our achievements. Maybe our successes, maybe our degrees, maybe our position. Whatever it is that we kind of go, well, this is who I am. But what happens if that gets robbed from you of something you didn't do? What happens then? See, Jesus says, man, your identity is not in who you think you are. Learning to die to who you think you are 
and learning to die to what you think you deserve is the toughest school you will ever go through. And so Jesus stands accused on that cross, and they're saying to him, oh, he's, look at this Messiah. It's exactly who he is. And he chose, through his love, to let them think he wasn't. To be lined up with the criminals, to be lined up with the failures, to look like a failure, to look like a fool. Why? Because his love was so much stronger than his pride. And so when I look at me, I go, man, if I was in Jesus' shoes, had I even made it that far, I would have come off that cross at that point. I think that man shaking his head at me would have done it. I would have come off that cross. My pride would have taken me off that cross. My fear of looking foolish would have taken me off that cross. My fear of looking like a failure would have taken me off that cross. My desire to look successful and to be victorious would have taken me off that cross. Everything in me would have taken me off that cross. And then I come face to face with the words Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Choosing to die when you have the power to live. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we will find ourselves all in that situation. Because Jesus gives us free will. Choosing to die when you have the power to live. You have the power to chase your dreams. You have the power to chase your own desire for identity, your desire for success, your desire for whatever it is you want. You have the power to push Christ off to the side and run after these things. You have the power to keep Jesus as a token in your life, but not really live a surrendered life. So all of us have the power to live our lives for ourselves. We also have the power to choose to die. How are you living? Are you choosing to die when you have the power to live? In his crucifixion, I am amazed at the depth of his love. And as I come face to face with the conviction of myself, I also come face to face with the strength and the depth of his love. Because of me and because of you, he would stay on that cross. As we look at the crucifixion, you know, it's so easy and and obviously appropriate for us to go, man, he died and he set me free, and I'm grateful for that. But in everything Jesus did is an example for us on how to live. And everything he says, he washed his disciples' feet and says, now go and do likewise. And even in this, I look at this, and Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 12, as he's approaching the cross, he goes, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And as we look at how he has loved us, I see a cross. I see this example of choosing to die to myself and die to my pride so that others might live. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls us, we must each wrestle with that same thing Jesus did, choosing to die when you have the power to live. I want to ask you this morning, what takes you off that cross? See, as as a Christian, man, my life is always continuing to be stretched. And and there have been times in my life, and I'm sure you can say the same of your own, where God has kind of led you to do some things which can be scary. There have been times in, in my life where I go, man, if this fails, I look like a fool. And sometimes that thought has taken me off the cross. Because my pride has said, I'm not willing to look like a fool. There are times in my life where I go, if I follow what Jesus is saying, I could look like a failure. Times in my life where I say, man, if I follow what Jesus is saying, I might not have the success in, 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 in the career that I'm currently on. Or, or if I follow what Jesus is saying, I might not have the fame. I might not have the position. I might not have the importance. If I follow what Jesus is saying, I might be deemed as this world as foolish. And so all of those things can take me off the cross. I want to ask you, what takes you off the cross? Is it your desire for recognition? Is it your desire for pride? Is it that, man, how can someone talk to me that way? Or how can someone treat me this way? Or I deserve more than this. Or I have that. Or, or whatever I expect. What I've learned, what takes me off the cross every single time is my pride. See, this... The flesh in Selwyn, it wants to live. It wants to live more than anything. It's not that I can crucify it once. I have to crucify the flesh daily. Sometimes we have to crucify the flesh hourly. Sometimes we have to crucify the flesh every 10 minutes, whatever the case may be. But inside of us is a battle, and the flesh constantly wants to rise up and live again. And so crucifying ourselves and dying with Christ, we, that, those words roll off our tongues so easy. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And we can say that so easily and live lives that look nothing like it. We can stand in front of everyone and we can be baptized, as we will do in a couple of weeks, and, 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 and people will go down symbolically of dying to themselves and be raised up symbolically of being born again in Him and go out there and live unbaptized lives because the flesh still lives. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains single. But if it dies... It will produce many. I want to close the service with this. In Mark chapter 15, verse 39, there are several people present at the cross where Jesus dies. And one of those people present was a centurion. It's Mark 15, verse 39. I'll read it to you. It says this. And when the centurion stood there in front of Jesus, 
sorry, when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Barclay writes this about the centurion. This centurion had to be a hard-bitten Roman soldier. He was the equivalent of a regimental sergeant major. He had fought in many campaigns, and he had seen many men die. But he had never seen men die like this. And he was sure that Jesus was the Son of God. What did it for him was not watching how Jesus lived. It's watching how he died. Parker goes on to write this. If Jesus had lived on and taught and healed, he might have attracted many, but it is the cross which speaks straight to the heart of men and women. Are people watching you live? Or are people watching you die? See, what speaks to men and women in today's realms is watching Christians die to themselves. Die to their pride, die to their, to, to, to their selfish ambitions. I mean, you know what? One of the first things you hear when you talk about Christianity is all these guys who are not dying to themselves, who are chasing money and chasing all these things and have these pastors with these big, luxurious you know, cars and houses and all these things. They go, well, look at this guy. But what speaks to people is when they watch someone die and lay their life down for those around them, when I get to heaven, and guys know I have to fight the flesh daily, when I get to heaven, I hope people will be there and say, I'm here because I watched you die. I don't want to put anybody off from Christ because they saw me live to self. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We, as we see Jesus on that cross and we see his love, I'm so grateful to be standing here because of what he's done for me. But I can't leave it there. I can't just take it for myself and go, Jesus, thank you for setting me free. Thank you for forgiving for my sins. Thank you for your continued faithfulness. Thank you that even though while I was a sinner, you died for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't just come off that cross, that you stayed and you endured all of the things that you endured for me. Thank you so much for me. Yes, that's how I feel. But you know what a real grateful heart says? Man, God, I need the power that only comes from you to take what you've done for me and do to others. I need the power that comes from the Holy Spirit to die to myself. And if I would die, let's think about it. If you would die, see, you have a choice right now. You can either arrive in heaven by yourself or you can arrive in heaven with a sea of people who will be joining you there because you chose to die. You are that seed. You are that kernel of corn right now. But you can choose to die and produce many. Or you can choose to live for yourself and be just you. What's the message of Easter? That Jesus chose to die. And because he died, we stand here today. Delivered, saved, full of joy, hope, having life when we don't deserve it. Who will stand in heaven because you died? and because they saw Christ in you.
and found him. And as we go into Easter, let's celebrate the life that we have in Christ, but let's celebrate it with our actions and a lifestyle of laying down our lives for other people. Amen? Well, Jesus, we come before you. We just thank you, God. God, our words cannot express the gratitude and the amazement that we have and the love that you have for us. God, we can't sing enough songs. We can't preach enough messages. God, we can't raise our hands high enough to adequately thank you and praise you for your grace, for your mercy that is extended to us. But we can do what you've asked us to do. And God, you said, now take this message and take this sacrifice of what I've done for you and take it to other people. We recognize we can't even do that in our own strength. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would empower us, that this Easter, God, people wouldn't be celebrating this Easter in a church, but God, they would see it in us, Lord God. They would see your crucifixion. They would see your resurrection. They would see love and life and joy and peace and forgiveness and the way that we live our lives, that they too may share in the wonderful gift that we have in you. Let us live this Easter. Let us live this message out, I pray. And bring glory to your name in doing so and build your kingdom. And God, before we go our separate ways, I pray, Lord Jesus, for those in this place who are struggling, God, for those who are sick, for those who have been hurt, abused, scarred, for those who are worried, for those who have needs, because God, it didn't end on that cross. You continue to graciously meet all of our needs, Lord God. And so we just lift up those who are broken and hurt and need healing in this place, those who are downcast. And we say, Jesus, would you touch them? Would you heal them? Would you set them free, Lord God? Would you show them again the joy of their salvation, Lord God? Would you walk with them? Would you embrace them, Lord God? Would you help them sense your presence, Lord Jesus, again and again? And we will be careful to praise you and thank you and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open. If you need prayer, if you're sick, we want to pray with you. God bless.
Great. 